And we're going to kick off our study session for this evening on council budget priorities. Tony, would you please call the roll? Jimenez? Present. Torres? Present. Cohen? Here. Ortiz? Present. Davis? Duan? Present. Candelas? Here. Foley? Here. Batra? Present. Kamei? Mahan? Here. You have a quorum. Great. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody being here for this important study session. Uh, really, uh, just wanted to reflect on the process for a moment. Uh, last year, many of us on the council were either new or in new roles, in my case, and um, you know, I'm grateful to my colleagues for how we diligently worked through a process together to come up with greater focus and align around some strategies to drive outcomes. I think that continuing that level of focus and doubling down in these core areas will help us to only further accelerate our measurable progress. Tonight is an opportunity for us to get grounded in some updates from city staff on what we're seeing in data about what the community cares about, what our priorities are as a community, and then to have a discussion about our priorities after we hear from the administration. All of this as an input to the March budget message that I'll be releasing in a few weeks in collaboration with members of my Budget Brown Act. As you know, the charter directs that I uh, you know, lead that budget process through the March message and then a final message in June. But I really want to hear from colleagues on how you're interpreting the data that we see from staff, what you would highlight as strategies you think are important. Obviously, I can't talk to all of you about the budget given the limitations of the Brown Act. So this is one of many opportunities over the next three months for us to work uh, collaboratively and as a body to shape the ultimate budget that we pass in June. So this is sort of the kickoff to that process. And before we jump into the staff presentation, I want to turn it over to Jennifer to tell us a little bit about what we're doing this evening. Yes, thank you very much, Mayor. Um, as directed by the Rules Committee, our agenda for today's budget priority study session is, first, a quick comparison of resident priorities across San Jose, the region, and the state, a preliminary general fund forecast summary and overview of the budget process, a discussion of my administration's perspectives and priorities. These are the items the administration will be working on in the next fiscal year absent any council direction to the contrary. And those three topics are expected to take about 45 minutes just to, to set the, the stage here. Uh, the mayor and city council will then have a discussion on the 24-25 budget policy priorities for items to explore in the mayor's March budget message that will be upcoming. Before we get started though, I'd like to take this opportunity to set some context for the study session. I know from my almost 33 years of experience with the City of San Jose that the next four months will be challenging and I also know we will all come together as one team to create and adopt a budget that provides the basics and addresses the wicked issues we face as a big city and ultimately meeting the needs of our community by adopting a balanced budget by June 18th. As your city manager, please know that I will continue to advocate for focus so we can be collectively successful. We need focus for three key reasons. First is our community. We have a community who depends on the delivery of 98 core services and 264 programs every day. And we also recognize there are acute issues impacting our community and organization that need specific focus and additional attention. 
Given the need to ensure effective implementation of core services and programs, our priorities must be limited in number and focused on only the highest of our community needs. Second is our budget. While we have made significant process, the city still has a structurally unbalanced general fund budget. Focus and prioritization becomes even more important after considering that the vast majority of the entire city budget has restricted and or specialized uses. Third is our capacity. Even when our vacancies are filled and we are fully staffed, San Jose will still be the leanest large city in the United States. We can only truly move the needle on a limited number of acute community and organizational issues if we focus our staff and leadership capacity on the most important things. I understand that we will approach this upcoming budget process with very different backgrounds and values. Ultimately, we are one team of elected officials, professional staff, and members of our community, and I truly believe that our distinct values are a good thing. It is our diversity that makes us stronger as a community and as the form of government closest to our residents, businesses, and visitors. Of course, we will all need to make certain compromises during the budget process. That is the nature of governing for the greater good with finite resources. But it is this collective diversity that helps ensure all aspects of our community needs have been considered and we formulate a budget rooted in equity that by and large works for everyone. My hope is for us to come out of this session and the upcoming budget process, starting with the City Council's approval of the Mayor's March budget message with clear expectations on budget priority, policy themes for further exploration over the next several months so we can all move forward together on behalf of our community. Again, thank you, Mayor and Council members, for this opportunity to provide some opening comments. I will now turn the presentation over to Assistant City Manager, Leek Wilcox, and my City Manager's Office Senior Leadership Team. Lee. Thank you, Jennifer. For this first section, we are going to go over resident priorities. Uh, Sarah Zarate will be joining me in this part of the presentation, and we've compiled sources from the Public Policy Institute of California, as well as the own, uh, our own survey data through the auditor's report, as well as the quarterly focus area updates, and lastly, joint venture. So Sarah will kick us off looking at a statewide level, um, then we'll narrow down to the city of San Jose. Thank you, Lee. My name is Sarah Sarate. I'm the director of the city manager's office of administration, policy, and intergovernmental relations. As you consider organizational focus and prioritization for the coming year, we gathered information that speaks to the most important issues from a community perspective based on survey data. When discussing resident perceptions in the past, staff has been asked about broader public sentiment outside of San Jose. To that end, we provide you with a few data points to contextualize San Jose within the larger Bay Area and the state. I'll begin with information from the Auditor's Annual Services Report, which asks residents if the city government could change one thing to make San Jose a better place to live, what change would you like to see? This question is open-ended, allowing for unstructured responses that are collated by our consultant into categories. The top five categories in 2023 were addressing homelessness, providing more affordable housing, improving public safety and reducing crime, beautifying the city and landscaping, and improving police response and presence. You're all very familiar with these concerns, but how do these issues relate to the perceptions of residents across the state? 
The Public Policy Institute of California conducts periodic statewide surveys. One of their latest surveys was conducted in December where they asked people to think about the state as a whole and what issues they felt are the most important facing Californians today. The top four issues are thematically similar to those of San Jose, with environment, pollution, and climate change also being a top concern. There's some variation in how these issues are ranked or prioritized depending on the, responses, the, the respondent's geographic location. Similarly, Joint Venture Silicon Valley conducted a poll of Bay Area residents in December 2023, asking residents to rate the seriousness of a number of problems facing the Bay Area. As you can see here, the top five responses in order of seriousness are one, cost of housing, two, homelessness, three, cost of living, four, the state of the region's three big downtowns, and five, crime. This slide summarizes the top issues based on those three surveys. I've color-coded them to demonstrate common themes. This review suggests that the challenges facing San Jose are broader than local-only challenges. That is, the local perceptions of top issues are reflective of those facing the Bay Area and other regions across the state. And with that, I'll hand it to Lee to provide more local data. Thank you, Sarah. As you saw on this slide, and as part of the auditor's annual report on city services that were brought to you on January 23rd, considering where our residents have perceived visions of how the city is a place to work, place to shop and dine, quality of life, as well as possibly retire, respondents did express most favorable, reading, uh, of favorable opinions of San Jose as a place to work um, and as a place to shop, well over 50%, followed by overall quality of life at 47%, while the cost of living heavily influences San Jose's uh, desirability as a place to retire. It should be noted that over the course of this survey, which has been several years, um, that this has stayed fairly static. These numbers have not moved a whole lot traditionally. And with from last year to this year, the numbers were uh, statistically the same. One of the slides that Joe went over on January 23rd was a graphic of residents ranking each of the city services with respondents saying whether they thought the city was doing a, an excellent, good, fair, poor, very poor in providing such city services. A lot of our city services are rated very highly. Our residents have very positive views on the airport, library services, trash pickup, fire protection, emergency medical response, and other critical services that we provide our residents every day. However, the graphic on the right does focus on the 10 city services that respondents ranked most unfavorable. Services related to addressing homelessness, affordable housing, community safety, and blight remediation um, were rated very, uh, very poor or poor. If some of those sound familiar, um, it's no accident. They do align with the focus areas that this council approved last year as we went through priority setting as a team. 
Also, as a part of our quarterly focus area survey, residents were asked unstructured questions around if they could make the city better and by addressing one thing, what it would be. Again, the answers were free-formed and later grouped together by our consultant into categories. Their responses, their responses of homelessness far outstrips any other issues with public safety, affordable housing, and beautification following closely. Again, very close alignment with what council asked us to focus on last year. These perceptions are also fairly consistent across race, geography, and income across the city with a few outliers, such as residents identifying as Chinese, for example, were much more likely than any other to cite improving public safety as a top issue, while Hispanic, black residents, and residents living in the north and east part of the city were far more likely to rate affordable housing as their top concern. But yet, overall, the themes remain consistent across all three. And lastly, here's a look of respondents um, over the last three years of a similar question. There's been a great de deal of consistency over the last several years. So in summary, if you look at the state, regional, local perceptions of the top, top issues, the available data that our residents, um, residents' perceptions of the top issues facing are the following. Based off of what Sarah said, our residents like other residents throughout the state and Bay Area want us to focus on the most pressing issues. These four issues or five issues here are not unique to San Jose. Um, if they were unique to one certain uh, jurisdiction, they probably would have solved it already. The issues are very complex and difficult and come from larger societal changes. Um, a lot of them are felt statewide. There are ramifications of state legislation being pushed through or the initiative process, but things that most cities, counties are dealing with across the United States. And lastly, and as I mentioned during the council meeting, these four issues are closely aligned, or these five issues are closely aligned with what we've been directed to work on through the last year. And with that, I am gonna hand it back to Jennifer McGuire to kick us off on the general fund forecast and budget process section of the study session. Thank you, Lee. Um, as I mentioned earlier, while we have made significant progress, the city still has a structurally unbalanced general fund budget, and so focus and prioritization becomes even more important under this scenario. Given the city's constrained general fund budgetary condition and historical budget challenges, there is always a limited availability of truly discretionary resources in the general fund. We need to be very strategic and intentional about what we say yes to, or when we say not yet, or ultimately if we have to say no, so we can focus on the most important things uh, to our community. As we work to apply focus, we also need to keep in mind that there are practical limitations to making significant strides in new areas without trade-offs, potentially significant trade-offs to existing core services and programs. While we think about the major issue areas that the City Council and the community have been grappling with in recent years, and areas where additional improvement is needed, like reducing unsheltered homelessness, blight reduction, citywide management of RVs, automated speed enforcement, and many others, these are services that have historically had a very low level of investment of city resources. Even as we work to apply focus and potentially increase investment in these areas, we must be mindful of the practical limitations given budgetary constraints. I'm now gonna hand the presentation over to Budget Director Jim Shannon to provide a summary of the preliminary general fund forecasts 
and to review our budget process, which provides multiple opportunities for the City Council and our community to engage on our budget policy themes for future exploration in the budget process. Take it away, Jim. Great. Thank you, Jennifer. Good evening, all. Um, start with just a little bit of historical perspective on the, the general fund. I don't want to go too back in time, um, but sort of the history of where we've been is really uh, informative of where we are now. And so um, this slide shows looking in the general fund from 2003 um, through 2024, we had to resolve ongoing general fund short calls, shortfalls in excess of $750 million. million. So that's a long time to sort of deal on a sort of a chronic basis of, of, of uh, the changing economic environment that we were in, the cost pressures that, that we were in, sort of a variety of factors sort of went into this. Um, but it, it uh, was a lot of hard, hard work and lifting that the city had to do as an organization, as a council, and as a community. And it really changes sort of the way we look today. And the shorthand way to look at this is to look at our budgeted positions. And so even though this is an all funds perspective, I think it, it applies well to the general fund too. Um, where from 2001, 2002 was our peak number of budget staffing at almost 7,500 uh, positions budgeted. Um, over 20 years later, we are still not yet at that peak. And so that, you know, we do things differently than how we used to, and uh, we've contracted some stuff out. We're more efficient in, in other, uh, other areas, but also our work has become more complex in, in other areas too. So this kind of gives a sense of the constraint that the organization is sort of under um, as we had to resolve those general fund shortfalls over a 20-year period. And when we look at uh, our ability to resolve you know, general fund shortfalls or to reallocate resources within the general fund is constrained even a little bit further because there are things that uh, we can't really eliminate or eliminate quickly. And so when we look at our general fund base, base budget, only about 60% of it is truly dis, dis, uh, discretionary. Um, a, a big chunk of it is non-discretionary. Either they are related to fees that we collect and have to provide specific services for or there are revenues that we get from the state government that we have to spend on, on, certain, on certain things. Um, we also have a big chunk for our unfunded actuarial liability and our other pensionable employment benefits, some of our retirement contributions we have to make, and those don't go immediately down even if we work to significantly reduce staff because a lot of that is for prior commitments. And so when you, when you think about those things that we can't touch, uh, what, we, what we can is only about 60% of the general fund, which if you want to do sort of more shifting around, it means those trade-offs are probably even harder than they would have otherwise been previously. And so we kind of want to show this chart to give that little bit of perspective. Um, to cut to the chase, when we did our preliminary two-year outlook based on data in, at the end of November of 2020-23, um, it looked at that time that we were generally in alignment between ongoing general fund revenues and authorized ongoing general fund expenditures. Um, in 24-25, but we would have a shortfall somewhere ranging in, in the range of 25 to 35 million beginning in 25-26. Um, that does not, though, include about $25 million of services that are currently funded on a one-time basis um, that are, um, uh, would likely be considered by most to be ongoing services that we should continue to provide, like some Beautify San Jose pilot programs, some of the police department funding um, that uh, but it's actually not funded on an ongoing basis. So when, when we think about that, it's almost like we have a structural shortfall of $25 million in 24-25. Now, we're going to look at all those as part of the budget process, but that's some of the issues that we'll be grappling with in addition to whatever we talk about here. Um, so expenditure growth um, 
including some committed additions of interim housing in our Measure T facilities starts to overtake the revenue growth, and that's why we see that uh, rise in 25, 20, 26. And so we're gonna need to make sure the process that we uh, engage in over the next few months takes a uh, multi-year perspective in our budget development process, because even if we're not so bad this next year, the following years um, are, are, are gonna get tougher, so we need to keep that in mind. A little on the, the revenue outlook, again, we are actually looking at all this stuff. So we, like Selena had mentioned earlier, we met with the county today on property tax, so we're getting new information really daily here as we look to update our forecast at the end of this, of this month. But um, many areas of the local economy um, were slightly stronger than an anticipated. In last year's forecast model, we had uh, forecasted a slight recession at the beginning of the fiscal year and then sort of come out of it. We never got to that recession. We've slowed for sure, but haven't... Um, uh, been in a recession and we don't have a recession in our in our forecast model as of right now so that little bit of ad additional revenue growth in 23 24 continues into 24 25 it's a small amount but compounded over a couple of years it does help to significantly offset some of these increased expenditures that we are going to be in encountering um, and we we do have that revenue growth expected to continue but again at a very moderate level one of the big cost pressures that we, that we have that we don't have a lot of, of control over, as, as most of you know here, are our retirement contributions to both our uh, police and, and fire uh, um, retirement fund and our federated retirement fund. Uh, what you see here are the bars in yellow are the city contributions. This is projected by uh, the retirement board's actuary. And uh, retirement costs are going to continue to go up um, for, the, for the next few years. So on the police and fire side, that's looking to peak um, at around 29, 20, 20, 30 or so, and then taper down. Um, that's uh, relatively useful because most of the police and fire costs are all in the general fund. And so, um, so we're definitely going to see some cost pressures there, but we will see some relief um, in the out years. Federated side is a little bit tougher. Um, so those are going to go up for uh, quite a bit longer um, through the mid-2030s. About 45% or so of federated staff is in, the, is in the general fund for that kind of perspective. And this all assumes we have a 6 and 5 eighths rate of return on our retirement investment. So this is what happens if everything goes according to plan. Of course, there will be, be changes and this will look different. But but do want to show these cost pressures that will be with us. Um, some other cost pressures that are um, pretty significant are our committed additions. And so these are ongoing operating costs that we have not yet experienced but will be experienced because we have committed to them as a, a city and so we've got a number of capital projects that have shifted a little bit um, that's one of the reasons why our 24-25 figures a little bit better because some of those capital projects have shifted out by a year so the fire station 32 the police training facility those kind of shifted out by a year compared to our last forecast so it's relatively small in 24-25 but ramps up to um, about 30 million dollars uh, over the next uh, five years or so so that'll be a cost pressure that we'll have to grapple with um, we have that police staffing reserve which adds a total of 15 personnel mix of sworn and non-sworn e each year the forecast and then of course we have the interim housing which has been a part of our uh, discussions and will continue to be so again as when we look back in november of 2023 um, if we are building out all the sites that we have committed to, we would anticipate about a $38 million contribution needed in 24-25 and increasing to about $70 million in 28-29. This is predicated on, we're always going to be looking for other sources before we tap general fund resources. And that's, that's not going to change even with whatever we publish in this forecast. We're not done trying to identify other sources, but we do have to be, um, uh, identify what the need could be in the general fund if we don't. Uh, find other sources so that will definitely be a cost pressure that we'll be continuing to work work through together 
So as a preliminary budget balancing strategy um, in advance of the March message, which really does set the direction for how the proposed budget looks, but we need to kind of get started for that. So in, the, in December, the city manager gave some preliminary direction to department directors focusing on prioritizing limited resources to support key outcomes related to city council food focus areas, those critical CSA services and programs, foundational strategic support focus areas, and uh, some CSA outcomes and key priorities, including, including really the prioritization of those one-time items that we need to try to get ongoing to the extent possible and a very few select new in investments. We're gonna need to consider ongoing reductions to lower priority services in order to support these other new items and to bring the general fund into structural alignment. Um, we're gonna look at eliminating positions that have been vacant for an extended period of time to both generate budgetary savings and sort of better align our position count with anticipated work um, and make sure that we take a two-year approach that partially addresses to the extent that we can the uh, general fund shortfall anticipated in 25-26. And we'll close here with this budget process slide, which we are at the beginning of. So we are here in the middle of February talking about city council priorities, which will then inform um, the, what goes into the mayor's March budget message, which will be heard as a public hearing and for council consideration on March 19th. This, as the mayor had stated earlier, is a super important document. It's part of our charter. It really sets what the direction of how the proposed budget should be uh, put put together. So the 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 um, that's why this conversation here is also very important because all the new big things or different things or how we want to change how we're currently doing it really should be addressed as part of the mayor's March budget message. Doing it after the fact just becomes much much harder. Um, so we want to try to get uh, most of that heavy lifting out of the way with the March budget message. Um, once we get that direction from council, we are go into production mode to create proposed budget documents that align with that March message direction, both on the capital side and on the operating side. We re release those at the end of April and beginning of May, respectively, along with our fees and charges report. Then once those documents are available, we have a number of community meetings and public hearings. Um, we also have, so those will be scheduled um, TBD, but those will be scheduled, I think, throughout the, the city. Um, we will also have study sessions with the city council during that time to really dig in to the individual aspects of the CSAs and departments about what's in that, that proposed budget, um, there, including the fees and charges program, the capital program, and all those elements that we were given direction on. Um, they'll also, that's also the, the, the time where we will be releasing manager's budget addenda uh, to uh, better inform the budget process. That's also the process whereby the cost estimate and council budget document uh, process occurs, so there'll be opportunity there to um, look at ways that the proposed budget could potentially be modified, although again, I think the, the bigger lift probably needs to happen as part of the March budget message. And then finally, that June budget message will be released at the beginning of June um, and decided on in the middle of June to take into consideration what's been in the proposed budget, what the feedback from the community has, has been, what the feedback from different uh, city council members has, which informs how the mayor then crafts the June budget message for city council consideration of adoption. Um, and then we formally do that budget adoption on the 18th of, of June. So I just wanted to step through those for you. I'm gonna hand this back, I think, to Jennifer. Thank you, Jim. To kick off this next section, the city's uh, service delivery framework is shown on the next slide. So let's move the slides forward. Uh, the city service areas, which are otherwise known as CSAs, integrate services provided in individual departments into the city's five key lines of business, community and economic development, environmental and utility services, neighborhood services, public safety, and transportation and aviation services. 
An additional CSA, referred to as strategic support, represents the internal functions that enable and support the other five CSAs in providing services to the community. These cross-departmental CSAs provide a forum for strategic planning and investment decisions within the context of the Mayor and City Council policy priorities initially expressed with the City Council's approval of the Mayor's March budget message. It is important to note that most of the City's budgetary and staffing resources are dedicated to the 98 core services and 264 programs that provide all of the routine services that the community expects the City to perform on a day-to-day -day basis. While often considered business as usual, the implementation of these seemingly routine activities is the city's primary function and absorbs the bulk of the city's resources. The current city council focus areas, city manager foundational strategic support focus areas, and the CSA priorities are elevated within the CSA service delivery framework with additional leadership, attention, governance, execution, and resourcing. Next slide. Each year, the, the budget priority process evolves to be responsive to the current environment. For example, just two years ago, the 22-23 budget priority process reflected the city emerging, fr emerging from the COVID-19 pandemic and resulted in the city initiatives roadmap, which contained eight enterprise priorities and 40 change initiatives. While certainly a step in the right direction, we had too many priorities and we did not have enough leadership and staff capacity to move the needle in a meaningful way on these 40 change initiatives. So now, next slide please. So now for 23-24, the, the budget priority process. However, this reflects the largest city council leadership change in recent times and resulted in a narrower statement of city council priorities as represented in the four city council focus areas, increasing community safety, reducing unsheltered homelessness, cleaning up our neighborhoods, and attracting investment in jobs and housing, as you can see on the top of that slide. As Leah and Sarah discussed earlier, these focus areas do indeed address the most wicked issues facing our city, region, and state, and require multi-year transformational, transformational change to make meaningful progress. We have made significant investments in these focus areas this year, and we are starting to see some initial progress, but there is much more work to do. The City Council and community can see the focus area progress through our City Council focus area scorecard updates to the City Council, as we heard earlier today, and on the City's website. What may not always be visible to the City Council and the community, however, but is very visible to me as City Manager, is the business-as-usual work being done with most of our budgetary and staffing resources to, to deliver the CSA outcomes for our community across all of our city core services and programs. Having provided our current service delivery framework, some historical context on priority setting, and outlining our city council current year priorities, I'm gonna hand off the presentation to my assistant city manager and deputy city managers to present my recommended priorities for our administration for the 24-25 fiscal year as directed. And I certainly appreciate that opportunity. Thank you, Jennifer. As Jennifer mentioned, the 98 core services and programs often seem routine, and those do absorb a bulk of the resources in this organization and are done by excellent an excellent workforce. Um, again, I think the word routine uh, is a misnomer here, that the delivery of those routine services can be difficult. We are always trying to get additional efficiencies dealing with different state mandates or federal mandates 
or quite frankly, changing community perceptions that require different needs of those existing programs. However, as mentioned, when reviewing the survey data, our residents would like us to address and improve issues that require different approaches. And these are different in nature than the other routine businesses, uh, lines of business that the city delivers. As I mentioned during the survey data, we are not alone in trying to address several of these problems. As Jennifer mentioned, they are complex. Many have uncertain solutions or lack a clear solution. They involve multiple stakeholders. Uh, there are no one-shot solutions or uh, uh, golden eggs. And we often, um, because of large societal changes that are outside our control, they continue to change and morph um, and, and have breakdowns um, as we try to address them. In addition, in many of these cases, the city does not have sole authority or total authority to address the problem, requiring this council's and the administration's leadership to work together and work collectively with other agencies to address these issues. So, as Jennifer mentioned, we're uh, grateful that we can kind of put forward um, what we think is important. You'll notice on this slide a few things I just want to walk through as part of one of Jennifer's uh, foundational uh, priorities and strategic support, which is driving organizational performance, we are going through each CSA and modernizing those outcomes and performance metrics. You'll see some of those in this year's budget process. The ones that are going through that um, or have already gone through it are denoted with a number sign at the end of that name. So community and economic development, neighborhood services, and public safety are going through those and you'll see those uh, higher level outcomes uh, and performance measures as part of the budget process. You'll also notice that we did not put focus areas on this uh, document as we believe that that's the council's responsibility to come up with what that focus is. However, because of last year's discussion and the, the known around those focus areas being multi-year projects, what we have done is gone through and listed our priorities by CSA. Those key priorities that are underlined and bolded roll up or align with a focus area that we currently have. The ones where we don't, that are italicized, currently don't maybe totally directly align with a focus area, but we deem it very important to the organization or the community to address those in the coming years. And so with that, I am going to turn it over to Rosalind Huey to start with community and economic development. Great, thank you so much, Lee. So um, in order to achieve the outcomes for the community and economic development CSA, um, the administration is proposing several key priorities. Um, we have had many conversations about what we can do here in the city to position ourselves when we do come out of this current economic climate. And so we think that next fiscal year, there's a great opportunity to do that. So we want to position ourselves for future economic growth. And with that, um, we are looking at providing incentives um, for our, our companies and businesses with a focus particularly on AI, on manufacturing, uh, and of course on our downtown, uh, providing perhaps um, a downtown leasing incentive. 
um, and as was previously previously discussed today, um, looking at our residential high rise incentive program, and actually looking at expanding that program citywide, so that we can spur um, residential development uh, in key areas throughout the city. And we've got some exciting events coming up. Um, 2026 will be here very soon with the World Cup and Super Bowl, and so we want to focus attention uh, on um, making sure San Jose shines bright during those events, uh, supporting our small businesses, our companies, uh, and getting really our residents um, very excited about um, these two event opportunities. Uh, again, for downtown, uh, the focus on creating the vibrancy, um, working with our partners, the downtown um, association on lighting, on um, making the buildings more attractive, and certainly working on marketing. And then in terms of development services and making things more predictable for our developers and our customers, um, completing the work that we've started on the online fee estimator, uh, as well as completing our work on the development fee framework where we're looking at um, all of the different fees that the city currently has as it relates to development. And then last but certainly not least, we are looking forward to awarding um, the three NOVAs that the Housing Department has issued uh, this fiscal year, one for new construction, one for acquisition and rehab, uh, and the third NOFA to build uh, community development capacity in our city. Uh, and so with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Kip Harkness to walk us through the Environmental and Utility Services CSA. Thank you, Rosalind. Kip Harkness, Deputy City Manager. The Environmental and Utility Services City Service Area is sometimes the sort of the invisible CSA, and, and we'd like to keep it that way because when things are working, it's very invisible to the customers and the people out there. Uh, that being said, we have three key priorities that I'd like to highlight. One is the Municipal Regional Stormwater Permit, which will be coming back uh, around March 5th to you all with a big discussion on in terms of what we're going to need to do to be able to fully comply with that and how that relates to our support of homeless people who unfortunately are having to make their homes in and near our waterways. And so that's going to be a huge collective lift uh, related to that focus area. The second key priority for the city service area is our city infrastructure strategy. And this is really 16 distinct work streams that are reported out regularly through the Transportation and Environment Committee. And this is where our core work on both climate mitigation and climate adaptation take place. Again, if we do our work correctly here, we will be able to deal with those issues and prevent them from becoming a focus area, if you will. But there's a significant amount of work in this infrastructure strategy, which hopefully we'll be able to find many non-general fund sources to fund this ongoing work. And finally, uh, the clean energy scaling and programs. We are radically scaling the clean energy department to meet the ambitious goals which you all have set for us. And this year, for the first time ever, we have met the goal of setting aside a 180-day reserve to make sure that we are extremely fiscally stable and sound with that energy department, which will begin to allow you all to direct us to invest in programs related to energy both internal programs like the conversion of our fleet to all electric and also external programs that will allow our residents to take advantage of 
the shift toward green electrification in their homes and businesses. So that'll be uh, kind of a little bright spot coming forward uh, as we move forward in the next year. So those are our three priorities, and I am turning it over to another deputy city manager whose name eludes me for the moment. Who, who's next? His name is Angel Reels. Thank deputy you, Angel. Manager. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks and, for saving me, Angel. Yeah. And um, oh, oh, Deputy City Manager Omar Passens and I co-lead the Neighborhood Services CSA. And so this CSA is, is really driven by a vision that, that, uh, that believes that all in San Jose deserve clean, vibrant, accessible, and inclusive public spaces that inspire friendship and connection across generations, cultures, and points of view, that we have neighborhoods and public life that reflect uh, our rich cultural history, uh, the, the rich cultural history of our residents, and neighborhoods uh, that serve as conduits for people to connect with one another, to build community, and to, and to provide pathways to opportunity and lifelong learning and prosperity. Um, some overarching outcomes uh, for this coming year is continuing our work in the area of safe and clean neighborhoods and public spaces, um, continuing our work uh, around welcoming and creating vibrant neighborhoods and public life, um, continuing to enhance equitable access to community opportunities, and continuing our important work around housing security through supportive solutions. Uh, and, and here to cover our key priorities is uh, Omar. Thank you, Angel. And so, uh, you know, nothing that you read in the key priorities as it relates to um, uh, this body of work is going to be surprising to you. Uh, we have issues related to uh, blight and enforcement in our communities, and so that's a key priority for the administration as we continue to move forward. I think you just heard uh, Kip a moment ago mention stormwater and the need to comply with the permit, right? And the flip side of that is we're in this section is that there are encampment management and, and, and bio-waste issues that impact our neighborhoods that are even apart from those that stormwater. So we have these dual issues that come up around homelessness that really uh, you're going to see as a key priority moving forward. Uh, you'll notice on that list the homelessness prevention, outreach, and service connection. And that's one of those things where focusing on the things that will keep people off the street and get them quickly off the street are fundamental to bringing down the number of people who are living in unsheltered, unsafe, unhygienic places in our community. And I would say, as to underline that, that is why you see that focus uh, on emergency and temporary housing and, and safe sleeping. That is in addition to the work that this council has support, long supported in, in other areas. The last three things on that list, code enforcement, uh, um, you know, re-engineering, I think Angel covered earlier. And then, of course, we've got really significant issues around animal care and services and continuing to improve how we handle those issues in our community. And that children and, and youth master plan is just... It's one of those foundational building blocks that will make uh, will pay dividends for for generations to come. And, and with that, I'd like to pass it over to Rob. Actually, you're turning it over to me. I'm going to do public safety, um, and in within the public safety CSA, our north star is a, a safer San Jose with effective emergency response services, as well as resilient communities that are prepared for emergencies. Our priorities for the year, none of these will be surprising given the conversations that we've had, but the big one is really 911 call modernization, and this goes all the way from the physical space that our call center is in to the way uh, calls are routed through there and how that center is staffed, um, as well as what we talked about during the council meeting is taking a look at all of the calls for service 
and how they're prioritized and are the alternative service delivery models we may want to pursue. Second is a real-time call center implementation. Many cities have, have started to move forward this, um, and we will as well. This allows officers as well as the call center to have real-time uh, camera feeds and data so they know what they're responding to in the community. And we can bring in additional resources uh, from the county um, if needed. Third is our police officer recruiting and CSO recruiting. And then last is addressing kind of the countywide uh, issues that uh, plague our emergency uh, medical services management and coordination that together with fire and the city manager's office will be working on with the county. And with that, I'll be handing it off to Rob Lloyd. Thanks, Lee. You can see the city service area outcomes for transportation and aviation on the top right of, of the screen. Um, the, the CSA outcomes really focus on safe and secure transportation, uh, choice, strong infrastructure, positive experience, and promoting our economy and livability. In the blue column in the center, you see the key priorities um, and initiatives from the administration. Um, all of these should look familiar um, because they involve components of safety and, and that transportation uh, piece of Vision Zero, um, school setbacks, oversized vehicles, and so forth. We also have some priorities related to um, our airport and recovering our traffic and routes. Uh, as well as major projects with Deardon Station and our BART uh, construction. With that, turning it back to our city manager. Thank you, Rob. Um, I'll, I'll hit it home here with the strategic support city service area. Um, within that city service area, I have five city manager foundational priorities that I'd like to continue to move forward next year. As part of that, I would like that CSA to focus on our customer service process reengineering and automation, which would continue our efforts to deliver excellent customer service as guided by our new council-approved customer service vision and standards. Improvements will be made across people, process, and technology, including training, process reengineering, and development of a citywide customer relationship management system for a 360-degree view of our customer touch points. Also, we'd like to continue advancing racial equity efforts. It'll continue uh, our efforts to ensure that race can no longer be used to predict life outcomes so that everyone can prosper and thrive in our great city and also ensure people from all racial groups and identities feel like they matter and belong. Also want to focus on employee recruiting and retention to reduce our vacancy rate while retaining our most important resource, which is our city employees who deliver all these wonderful services to our community. Also, performance management modernization, which would continue our efforts to modernize each of our CSAs and, and our department's mission, vision, outcomes, key performance metrics, and key activity and workload highlights. And finally, our technology systems modernization, data integration, and cybersecurity, which would continue our efforts to modernize aging technology, better integrate our data to improve our ability to make data-driven policy decisions and continue to protect our system and data from increasingly sophisticated cybersecurity threats. With that, I want to thank you, Mayor and City Council members, for your time to understand my administration's perspectives and my recommended priorities for next fiscal year. We certainly look forward to the conversations you're about to have on our on the budget priority themes for further exploration to help uh, inform the Mayor's March budget message. And now, Mayor, I will turn the meeting back over to you for your conversation with your Council colleagues. Great. Thanks so much, Jennifer, and, and city staff. Appreciate those updates. <coughs> Excuse me. It's very helpful to hear an update on how you all are thinking 
about our work and where we should be focused in the year ahead. So with that, I'm gonna be turning back to colleagues. I'm mostly interested in listening to folks' perspectives on what we should be prioritizing, what you think we've learned in our focus areas or other CSA-related priorities. And my team is, um, is watching online and, and taking copious notes as well. Um, okay, we'll go to Councilmember Davis. Thank you. I, I really appreciate this, uh, the presentation and the discussion. I wanted to ask some questions about the 2026 events. Um, not a lot of us up here were here for the college football championships and we got started on that work way too late. Um, knowing what we know about what happened then and um, I, ha I have a couple of things down um, that we worked, weren't really able to, to do and I don't know if we actually ever finished that policy work. I wanna find out if when you put that on there, we're talking about the same things. So I have down from just lessons, lessons learned, things we didn't do. Um, we didn't streamline event permitting for, for extremely large and novel events. Um, we didn't have digital billboards downtown. We still don't. <laughs> um, and we didn't talk, we didn't finalize, I think we might have done some kind of emergency ordinance um, or urgency ordinance about oversized large signs. And I wanna know if we finished that work or if, that, or if those three things are what you guys were talking about for 2026, if there are other things, um, because that work would be pertinent to not just the 24, 25 budget, but actually like right now. Yeah. Let me ask Nancy Klein to come down and, because she was here as part of that, the last ma several major events. Nancy Klein, AK Older. Um, <laughs> um, you and me both. So some of that work we, we have been working on and some we have left to do with Chris uh, working on signage, um, we will have some billboards up, that's my commitment, um, in the downtown and programmable. Um, and I can tell you that there's a, an exciting amount of work that's starting already to leverage off of what was done for college football and prior for Super Bowl. Um, John Poach will, will serve as the city's point and we're gathering different circles of meeting to include wisdom and partnership, not only of government folks, but private folks to invest. And there are opportunities to leverage what the Quakes are doing for their 50th and learn from what they've been doing and what we should amplify do more of and amplify even that from there. As well as this, as this summer, there is COPA, um, the, the South American Soccer Championship. Two major games will be played in Levi's. The second uh, game is Brazil and Colombia. So talking now about how to really practice a few major things um, to bring what will be very active um, participants, we believe, from the community, and then building up, and we're working very closely with the Bay Area Host Committee, which is committed to be an existing forever kind of organization, not get us here, go away, and start again. So 
a number of things um, to leverage between Team San Jose, the airport, making people know that if you're going to Levi's, you should come here. Um, and then if you're gonna come here, you'll probably think about staying here as opposed to San Francisco. So right. this is getting going in a real way now. Okay. Um, and Councilor, if I could just add, yeah, to I, just interject quickly. So I've now met with the Bay Area Host Committee twice and have been, and my team, Michael Lomio, has been tightly coordinated with Nancy and her team, been starting to make the case to them that we want to see more of the official fan experience happen in San Jose. Yeah, and I know John Poach has been working on that. Yeah, and John came to one of the meetings yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, I think, though, to your point, that we cannot rely on the host committee to decide to they're going to give us official events. Right. We will do our best to advocate for that. But I think, to your point, we will need to equip ourselves, and I hope that our message helps do this through the March message, to control our own destiny more around these events. Yeah, and that's my exact point. And so, our I don't I guess what I was asking is, do you all need direction from us to do the work to get thank you Nancy by the way for all your comments and I appreciate the we'll have at least one digital billboard downtown um, by then in terms of the streamlined event permitting the especially for novel events and the and the oversized signs on buildings I mean we're talking about like multi-story signs that was a big deal if I remember from the with the fire department so I just want to make sure that we're if you need the direction from us to do that stuff, I'll write a memo tomorrow. Yeah, so I, I would answer, uh, this is the beginning of a conversation. We're outlining it as a priority and some of the stuff that we need to do, at least at a 60,000 foot level, going down a few layers, it <coughs> sounds like that's what we're gonna be working on. So I, I think rules might be premature because I do think we need to better understand kind of the situation of what the host committee is gonna do and some of what you would want, what you would want to like direct in future conversations and so we can resource it. But I, I think there's alignment of that this needs to be uh, serious and based off of the last experience we had, it does need to start sooner rather than later. Yeah, it, that's, the, that's the thing that I, I guess I don't hear the urgency about getting the policy work done really soon. I, I understand we're talking about budget right now and budget goes four months, but really the policy work should start before July 1st because we've got to have that stuff in place and the discussions that you're having with the Bay Area Host Committee and with John should be about what what happened with CFP in, in the, the outdoor concert not being able to, to actually move forward. Um, the even even when it was going to go forward we had winds or something that that didn't allow it but they weren't able to build the structures that they wanted to build because we couldn't get permits to them because they were novel permits it was things we hadn't seen before so what are the kinds of things that we might i just i'm asking you to have the conversations here about not at council but amongst yourselves and i'm happy to be a part of those since i had been to atlanta and have experienced it here that we we need to change things so that we don't have staff members making decisions that impact our ability to actually attract those events if and and what they what they're going to remember is what we did so not what we're capable of doing so we really have to be able to sell like we learned from this and we've made those we've made these changes so we are ready to go 
So I want that, we're gonna have to have time to sell it after we make the changes. We can't just make the changes and expect them to come. So that's my, that's my point on all of that policy work and I will stop beating that dead horse now. Um, I just have two other comments and I see I have two minutes so that works out great. I want to call out the Children and Youth Master Plan to the surprise of zero people on this council um, and the Deardon Station expansion as two multi-year efforts uh, that will also require multi-year investments that have the potential to positively transform, um, in the case of Deardon, the downtown, and in the case of the Children and Youth Master Plan, our entire community. And it covers, I know it, they're under CSAs, um, and, and they weren't underlined in, as covering focus er, a focus area, but, but I think, frankly, they have, they're multi-focus area, and that's probably why staff couldn't identify which specific focus area that they, um, that they would touch. I think it's really important for us as a council to ensure that even though we have these focus areas that are really targeting a very, very specific metric or outcome, that we continue to make the multi-year investments that could transform our community. These are two that were on the list already. I'm sure others have others. Um, and I just also want to point out that we have basic city services that people of fewer means need every single day. And I was in this community with young children at a time when the parks were not being maintained, the park bathrooms were closed because we literally couldn't afford to maintain them and the libraries were open two and a half days a week. And when you have young kids like you do, Mayor, you know how much you rely on those free services that just require you to, um, you know, be out with your be out with your kids and you just can't spend it every spend money every weekend to get them out. So I just want to point out that those services, I don't want to use those monies for those really basic services that are critical to folks um, to, to pour into our focus areas. Great, thanks for that feedback. Uh, Councilmember Ortiz. Thank you, Mayor. Um, and I also want to start my comments by sharing my gratitude for staff for leading today's study session uh, and guiding the priority setting process. Um, as a second year council member, my team and I are catching on to all these different processes and uh, more and more. Uh, I deeply appreciate uh, the guidance and support from, from staff. Um, I said this earlier and we'll say it again um, to our city departments, thank you for sharing your expertise and for taking on the challenges, the challenge of focus in the face of a dozen of core services and programs you're tasked with delivering on every, every single day. To that end, there are priorities outside of the ones spoken here today that I'm interested in pursuing and that share alignment um, with the focus areas and um, some of them may seem basic, similar to how Councilmember Davis had mentioned, but some of the most basic services are extremely important and are lacking. Um, unfortunately, in the, in the east side. Um, as it relates to Safe San Jose, I'm, I'm very interested in the following uh, concepts. Investing in the trust or trusted response urgent support team program. 
to provide alternative for first responders with a focus on mental health and substance abuse. We know that um, our police department is thinly staffed and this could be a option, well, it is a great option, um, to free up their time so they could focus on more pressing issues while we have individuals specifically trained um, to work with these sensitive and vulnerable populations. And I, I believe by working with the trust team, you know, we could address these crises that many folks are facing on our streets in a safe and humane way. Um, and I had mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm really de uh, determined to make sure that we are hiring uh, more police officers and making sure that um, we have uh, a robust first responder, uh, um, both in first responder teams, both in um, fire and police department. Uh, doubling down on investments for traffic safety, District 5 is the second highest district for traffic fatalities in the city. So in 2023, we mourned the loss of 11 members of our community due to the lack of um, investment. I think key to affecting change on this front is um, continuing to do what we're doing, securing grant funding for major projects like the King Road Complete Streets program, as well as looking inward at policies that hinder our progress, such as lowering the speed and volume threshold for traffic mitigation in our neighborhood streets. I'm confident that given adequate resources, strong community input, and data to support project placement, we'll be able to create roads that are safe, walkable, and inviting for all of us to use. As part of this commitment, I'd like to see the Department of Transportation work with our police department uh, to identify areas of concern regarding sideshows um, and develop deterrence to respond to them. For many of our residents, the realities of sideshows are unending and detrimental to our, our quality of, of life. And I hope by focusing on quick builds, which I've seen in, in other districts, and by bringing them to District 5, we can start addressing um, these issues and force um, these sideshows into um, specific areas that can be managed by our, our the police department. A big thing this year for, for um, my priorities is focusing on park funding and open space. Um, parks provide access to recreational opportunities, which in turn keep our youth out of trouble, and provide access to green space. Um, unfortunately, the PCA scores for many of our parks remain low as park maintenance staff struggle to maintain the assets that, that we have. So uh, I believe our, our focus should be twofold, to prioritize the search for grant funding, to repair capital assets and further develop our trails. I'm gonna give a shameless plug for a lower Silver Creek Trail. Um, and reconfigure our funding formula for parks throughout the city, prioritizing um, some of our uh, more underfunded areas. And then we should also keep in mind, I know this has been discussed, a potential bond measure, um, which I hope we are gonna be uh, moving towards in the near, hopefully near future. But the focus on trails strongly benefits our transportation goals and should seek leverage existing, to, to leverage existing transportation grants. Um, developing, and this is a novel idea, I'm coning it here, you all heard it, heard it here, folks. Uh, developing a neighborhood concerns reporting tool. So similar to the reporting tool that we have for fireworks, this tool could create a mechanism for neighbors to call out quality of life complaints that aren't necessarily life-threatening, um, such as, for example, a life uh, allowed uh, party. Um, and of course, if there is a amount of um, non-duplicated um, reports, that it could then get escalated for a response, whether it's San Jose Police Department or another um, uh, 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 department. And I think this tool could free up some of our officers' times and dispatchers' times uh, to focus on more pressing issues, while also giving our residents a channel to report it and feel like 
they're heard because due to prioritization, many of our officers just don't have time to go to every single neighborhood for a party complaint or, or something like that. Um, as it relates to clean neighborhoods, focus area, I'm interested in leveraging our street sweeping contracts to ensure that our neighborhoods are being maintained. We can invest in the placement of more signage to secure predictable sweeping times and give power to parking compliance so they can ticket accordingly. Alongside this, I truly believe we need to revisit our, our contracts to ensure greater performance standards are met um, for cleanliness. I, I receive a lot of concerns um, in my district um, regarding the quality of street sweeping, uh, and many feel like they are not being provided um, a meaningful service that's being provided to other, other areas. Um, and, and then the a category I mentioned this earlier of addressing homelessness, um, I'm wanting to make sure that we are putting forth youth homelessness as a key priority. And as I mentioned, um, youth homelessness has risen in District 5, most specifically um, in the Allen Rock School District. Um, it, you know, it's, not, it's a major concern for my district to be highlighted as uh, the epicenter of youth homelessness for the county. Um, so I'm hoping that we can think innovatively as a city um, because there are individuals of youth on, on the streets that aren't necessarily part of a family. And absolutely, we should try uh, prioritize family first uh, uh, um, solutions, but we can't forget those of our youth who are alone on the street. Thank you so much, Mayor. Great. Thanks for all that great feedback, Council Member. Appreciate it. Took a bunch of notes. Council Member Batra. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> I want to make a comment about these surveys which you did. I think one of the surveys you may want to think about whether we really got the right information. The affordable housing terminology seems to get used in multiple ways. We have very specific meaning for the affordable housing, which means the housing which we build with the uh, nonprofits, with some public money and all that. Then people use generically the affordable housing means housing for all the people in San Jose with a market rate, non-market rate, and all that. So you may want to be careful when we are looking at that feedback and what purpose and how we are trying to interpret it. We all agree that we have a shortage of housing in all categories in, in, in San Jose. And, and we need for people to be able to have housing which they are able to get it at a reasonable cost. So keep that feedback in mind. And the other one, when we talk about public safety, uh, you have collected the information, but one of the things which stands out or doesn't stand out is a current feeling in the city of San Jose with a lot of people that city seems to have abandoned its powers to do any enforcement of any kind, okay? especially when it comes to relating to the homeless people or homeless vehicles or homeless, anything touching that area, a city feels that we have no, uh, we are not prepared to use any of our laws, we are not prepared to do anything to help those homeless people as well as the people who are around us. So keep those two sensitivities in mind and I'm gonna talk about some specific priorities. I think we talked about the basic services. 
the one of the ones where when you get into the public safety and traffic safety, we want to be special emphasis on safety around the schools. Okay, everybody I ever talked to, they want to get something done in their safety around the schools, whether those are quick builds, whether they are slow build, it really doesn't matter. But we need to call call out in our priorities the safety around the schools and programs associated to those uh, need to be showing up somewhere to satisfy the need. Second part is that in again around the public safety, traffic safety, I think we got those life-saving cameras approved last year and this year they're legal so we'd like to see some kind of funding allocated towards speed enforcement cameras, how we're going to be moving in that area. So we need to get some budget priority and money in for those areas. The other item which you have often heard, even mentioned today, is about the non-police intervention to handle certain kind of calls. People have mentioned it under the name of trust, mentioned it under the domestic violence when we get the calls of that. I think that area of enhancing that work and being able to separate it from the where the police response would not be required, finding a right way to do it because there are risks if we send the wrong people there, but that needs to come out in the safety and imp implementation of uh, the trust factors and all that. And about the homelessness, I just want to cover it under that look at the homelessness has many different angles to it. And we need to be coming up with the prioritization comprehensively, which means if interim housing is our solution to that, then the interim housing building operating and operating things around the, the, the interim housing not just building the interim housing and putting people in there, taking care of the interim housing inside. A re-encampment, keeping the area clean around it, it needs to be addressed in a priority manner for the entire thing, not just a subset of it and saying we don't have the money for the rest. We need to contain our project in such a way that we will be able to handle that comprehensively, all the elements which make a homelessness solution, the right solution for the homeless, for the residents, for the sheltered. So those would be my pieces of input for that. And uh, we'll love to work with this stuff together, coming up with a plan which addresses those needs. Thank you. Great, thanks Councilmember. Appreciate all that feedback. Councilmember Cohen. <coughs> yeah, thank you. Um, first I wanna thank the staff for the for the comprehensive overview. It's a it's it's a good kickoff to the budget season, which I know will be a lot of work going forward. And I hope that I, I think feel like we were just talking about the budget a month ago, but I, I hope you're ready for for another intense few months. Um, I, uh, I I appreciate the staff's um, continued tracking of not just the those four kind of overarching priorities, but all the focus areas that we have as a city. Um, it's important that we continue real continue. To remember that all the things that we do as a city are important to our residents 
uh, while we while we try to hone in on some of the key initiatives. So I, I want to just thank you for that and some of the details that are in the presentation. Um, and also, I just want to make this comment that you know, what, obviously, we saw that lit, that that ranking of our the residents and what they believe <clears throat> or how they rate our services. And while it's we need to put some extra attention into dealing with the ones that are at the bottom of the list, we have to remember. Um, to continue to make sure that the ones at the top of the list stay at the top of the list and stay where they are. So we don't want to lose progress on those areas. Things like libraries and parks, people rate highly, and there's a reason they rate them highly. They want to have access, and we need to continue to provide uh, access. Um, there was also an interesting, it, it was interesting to note in, the, um, in that list of the top concerns of our residents, the inclusion of the top two th items being homelessness is number one and affordable housing is number two. We tend to think of those as kind of one issue, but I, I, I know there's a lot of people for whom those are not one issue. Those are separate issues and you can see it from that. And so I, I think it's sort of, we had a lot of discussion last year during the budget process about how to balance those two things. And I know we'll be having that discussion again, but we need to focus on both of those things and I'm gonna to continue to encourage us to think about both of those things. And I know from interactions with the public at forums and other things that you know, there are people who are worried about affordable housing simply because their concerns are their kids, grandkids won't be able to stay in San Jose and, and won't be able to live here. And so we need to continue to make that a priority. Um, make a couple of points on a couple of the CSA areas. I know Kip, you talked about uh, environmental services being the invisible CSA. Um, as you know, that, 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 that idea has always bothered me a little bit, and I'll just say it like I say every year. We want to make sure that environmental stewardship is, is publicly a strong initiative for the city. And while I know, that, I know that you were making kind of a joke about the fact that we, you know, people garbage should be collected and sewers should work and all that, those other items of, of transitioning us to, to net zero, um, helping people electrify, encouraging EV and, and, and EV installation. While I, I know that you kind of wrap that up into that little comment that says city infrastructure strategy, I, I feel like we don't do it justice by just sort of kind of, n by not highlighting at least some of those things standalone in that little table. And so I'd like to see uh, some of that sort of called out as a focus of our city, being responsible for the environment and, and going to carbon neutrality. Um, and then my last question is on public safety. Um, I think, you know, one, one important way of telling whether our community feels safe is response time. And I know you mentioned 911 and, and uh, reevaluating how we take our 911 calls, but we know that our response time is, is very, is much slower than it should be, particularly for police calls. I know fire's a bit better. Um, and, we, and, and my area, North San Jose, is the worst in the city, and so I've always have been focused on this. And I, this might not be a big budgetary issue, but I do would like to see us complete that redistricting and reevaluation process this year. And so, however that might fit in to these priorities, I'd like to make sure that that's called out as well. That we're going to to figure out how to better balance our districts so we can have a better overall response times in the city of San Jose. So those are those are my comments. Thanks. Thanks, Council Member Councilmember Foley. Wonderful, thank you. That was really a, a fabulous presentation on both uh, your perspective, city manager, and also on the CSAs and, and what we're working on and what you're suggesting that we work on. I, I thought the detail was really helpful and informative. So 
I've been through this process, I guess this is my fifth year and this is the most uh, effective one that I've, the mo one I've got the most out of, so thank you for that. Just a couple of things to consider in, uh, as we're talking about the budget and I appreciate the comments from Council Member Davis regarding the 2026 events and wanna make sure that we do have signage and we do have wayfinding so that when people are in San Jose, they can get around and, and have a good experience. And uh, from Council Member Ortiz's comments regarding particularly parks and, uh, and access to parks and maintenance of parks and making sure that they are readily available, not to mention traffic safety and everyone knows Vision Zero is my thing, so I don't need to continue to belabor that, but it's my thing, so I'm just going to say it one more time, Vision Zero, fully fund as much as we can, uh, or go out and seek grants wherever we can. Uh, but one thing came up last year in the budget that I want to uh, bring to the forefront of our budgeting process this year, and that was we had not yet concluded our negotiations with many of our bargaining units. So we closed the budget, we approved the budget, and we had not yet approved any increased funding mechanism for the salaries that we then negotiated and approved. So we had to come back for a budget adjustment. So I would encourage us to work to make sure we have those contract negotiations concluded so that we can be proactive and include them in the budget and then not be, and know that we have the funds and capabilities with our budget to, to handle that, those increases or those, whatever those negotiations are. So that's one thing I wanna make sure that we, we consider. The other thing is the EIHs, emergency interim housing units are really important. I've talked about the one coming to Cherry hopefully sooner than later. Uh, but it's not, it's not just to build the EIHs. We have to make sure that we construct them, that we have the maintenance funds, the operation funds, and, and the funds to pay for any of the programs that we're going to have. So when I'm looking at the budget, that's one of the priorities. Homelessness, uh, getting people into housing is really, really critical, but then we need to make it an opportunity for them to improve their condition by offering them the services they need. And I know that's a huge lift in future years, so how you, how you do that with your magic, Jim, is pretty much, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna look to you for how to do that. Um, I, want, I did mention during the first session, and this is a little bit uh, a duplicate of the previous session that we just had on priorities around blight as it relates to commercial buildings. And Angel, I'm coming back to you because you said we were gonna get to them at yeah. this time. Yeah, thank you for doing that, Council Member. Um, and yeah, so you'll see one of the key, uh, the recommended key priorities is the re-engineering of code enforcement. And so um, uh, the good news here is because of the diligent work of Chris and Chris Burton and Rachel, Roberts and in coordination with our HR department, Jennifer Shembury, uh, all position, all code enforcement positions have been filled. So all 28 positions have been filled and that is huge. That's right? excellent Cause we, news. Because we have had a uh, high vacancy at, in that classification for, for a very long time. So that's the good news. The bad news is the volume that we have is still out of kilter here, right? And so hence the, the need for a, um, 
a re-engineering process. We really need to take a look at the backlog, which right now, as of right now, today stands at 4,048. Uh, and so that's a really high caseload. We really need to do a deep dive through this re-engineering, proposed re-engineering, and do a, a task, time, and volume assessment of that case log to really make sure we get a good handle on it, both retroactively uh, as well as, and more, more importantly, uh, proactively going forward, right? With, uh, in, uh, in relation to your specific question around um, uh, buildings, vacant buildings, uh, to give you an idea of volume and scope right now, we have 145 cases, uh, open cases right now with respect to this, 25 in the downtown area, 120 citywide. Uh, we have two positions assigned to that. One is a permanent position, the other is an overstrength. So in this proposed re-engineering, we'll assess that to be able to really handle the scope uh, citywide as you've indicated. So that's our thinking uh, around the code enforcement re-engineering. Okay, thank you, I appreciate that. I'd like to you to consider in code enforcement as it relates to vacant properties and, and I suppose occupied properties, but I, I see this more in, and we probably, we see it all over our city, of vacant commercial properties that the property owners maybe have inherited, yeah. so their overhead is really low. So they don't, and they don't live here. So they don't really care what happens to their property. They get letters from us and they don't respond because it doesn't have mm -hmm. a negative effect on them one way or the another. So as you look at re-engineering, I'd like you to consider increased penalties, quicker code enforcement, quicker processes for, uh, for forcing the hand of the property owner who is uh, a bad actor, mm -hmm. who is not taking care of business. We all have these properties in our city and it's tremendous blight and we can't get to the owners because they don't live here. Yeah. They don't have a respect for their neighbors or for their community. So somehow we need to force their hand and eventually end up in court if we need to mm -hmm. end up in court, but force their hand a little bit more and recover the cost because we can recover the cost by leaning their property. And, and for the public out there, this is not punitive. These are people who are bad actors who are allowing uh, horrible conditions to occur outside of their properties. Mm -hmm. And it's the broken window syndrome. That's you right. have a property that is attracting negative attention or negative uh, crime uh, or no attention. It is attracting crime and that's a problem with property mm -hmm. owners surrounding it and it's property for homeowners and residents who live nearby in apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. So I just want to put that out there because that's really huge in yeah. all districts. Yeah, Councilmember, that's that's excellent feedback. We will incorporate that in the re-engineering. Okay, thank you very much. And I'll just leave it at uh, with two other things. Libraries are important. I don't want to see any cuts to libraries. I know tough decisions have to ma be made. Uh, but let's leave the libraries alone. Oh, I did have one question for Jim. Sorry about that. And I still have two minutes, so I'm okay. Jim, you did mention the unfunded liability, which I'm concerned about. The number that you receive from the retirement boards, is that the number that you're going to be budgeting or will the number go up? Are they changing their discount rates or any? I know they. They're discussing about what to do, but have they settled in on 
where they're going to be for the year? Yes, they have. So they've okay. transmitted their sort of uh, approved contributions, uh, re required contributions from the city. They did monkey around with, monkey around is not the right term, they did adjust a few of the assumptions prudently. No, monkey around um, may but be the right word. In a thoughtful way, <laughs> it's budget speak just coming out of, of, of my mouth. But uh, the, the biggest one, the one that has the most impact uh, impact on on the contribution is the discount rate and so that remains right. the same at six and, and five eights and they're leaving that where it is yeah yes. yeah thank, thank you very much I I appreciate that and I look forward to future discussions on the budget well it's great to pick up new technical budget analysis <laughs> vocabulary really helpful um, thanks councilmember appreciate your comments uh, particularly around escalating those code enforcement cases faster and getting to fines and, and real accountability vice mayor Kamei Thank you so much. Uh, I also want to thank you for uh, bringing this forward and um, having uh, your priorities and you know your perspective on this. And thank you so much for the whole team. Uh, it's a lot of work. It is really, really a lot of work. Um, I uh, wanted to talk about first uh, public safety. Um, one of the things that in your key priorities that I would respectfully ask you to add is under San Jose PD, not just recruiting, but actually hiring. You know, we put in money in the budget, and I guess you can do all the recruiting you want, but if they don't get hired, so I just want to make sure that that's a part of it. I'm sure it is, but it wasn't there, so I just brought it's, it up. It absolutely is okay. part of okay. it. Okay, great, great, great. And I know that uh, um, there are a lot of new things that are going to be up and coming that will help us with that. I also want to uh, agree with my colleague, Dev Davis, uh, on the Children and Youth Master Plan. That is something that is multi-year, so over a period of time, I think that we should um, think about it in, you know, sort of like, uh, along the way because it is going to take time. I already uh, previously uh, mentioned my, the importance of violence prevention and, and bringing that forward. So I know that there's an MBA coming on that and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, in terms of uh, focusing on the areas uh, for emergency medical services and management and coordination, one of the things that occurred to me is that, uh, and I don't know how frequently it's happening or, but I was, I was, um, uh, told that uh, from time to time uh, in the EIHs uh, something happens to an individual and these are perhaps some individuals who have chronic uh, uh, cases where you know they they are to begin with uh, immune compromised or what have you and the only thing that the, the uh, a service provider knows how to do is call 911 and I'm just wondering if there's enough need for medical services, whether or not doing some kind of uh, uh, trial or pilot or something with the county in terms of a mobile unit that would go around so that if they're having shortness of breath, maybe it's because they're not taking medication, maybe it's because of this, but to, to help in the uh, assessment of their health to be able to reduce the number of 911 calls that are made uh, and uh, you know something something to look at in terms of of the number of calls I know that the fire department the number of calls that they were they were uh, escalating if you can reduce that that would also help us in the long run so that's just an idea to be able to uh, look at in terms of having like a roving uh, a clinic uh, mental health assistance, I think, is critically important. We all know how, how it's so much needed at many different levels, right? So um, I want to make sure that we pay attention to um, 
putting some dollars in for assistance with mental health uh, and, um, and be able to prioritize that as well. Um, in terms of uh, uh, Vision Zero and safety, that is a high priority. I'm glad that it will continue to move forward and I think that we have done quite a bit there to uh, make that happen. Uh, also, the Deer Dawn expansion is another multi-year, so I do agree with that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, what Councilmember Cohen uh, mentioned in terms of environmental stewardship. So this stormwater permit is going to be super, super expensive. I am uh, working with the library and others to uh, do some pre-work on education uh, in the Adopt-a-Storm-During Adopt program. I think that you know, not only are libraries a priority, maybe they should, they should be given a little bit more because educating our community and really sort of connecting, why is stormwater important? Really, really important. It'll help us in the long run to be able to uh, uh, let people know that from an environmental stewardship perspective, critically important. The things that we can do to prevent will help the stormwater permit in the long run. So I think that, you know, library funding is one of my priorities. I think that we should uh, take a look at that. The last thing I want to talk about is um, uh, as you're thinking about housing and how we look at Measure E funds and the NOFA and all of that, you know, I, I, I really hope that there's some kind of conversation on sustainability, right? I know people depend on this money, but as we start trying to look at uh, how over the long run we need to fund, whether it's uh, EIHs or long term, or whatever it is that we want to do, we have to start really talking about how do you sustain this? How, how, do, how, do we, how do we think about it sort of in not just the next year, the next two years, the next five years, but over a long period of time? Because um, even though that money is dependable, it keeps coming, the amount is not as big as we hope, at least not at this time, right? So, so I worry about that, and when people say to me, we depend on it, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, a big, it's a big deal. So I think that, you know, I'd like to hear more conversation on, uh, you know, how do, we, how do we get to a point of figuring out what is sustainable and what is not. And, oh, I wanna put a plug in for parks. People do love their parks. So uh, this is something that I think that uh, there are many, many ways in which community can also engage where it's not just the city putting out, but also saying, it's your park, you know, can we do things together? And I think people are, are, are getting to that point and uh, they love their parks. So I'm hoping that we don't find any cuts in the, in the parks program, so thank you. All right, thank you, Vice Mayor, Council Member Candelas. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, I, I want to just start off by um, thanking staff for their presentation, especially as it pertains to the insights of what our residents feel and um, where we are as a city with providing uh, those services that we may not be achieving or we are achieving. Um, I know um, maybe like a month and a half ago, I had a 
a budget town hall um, where I had a breakfast and Jim Shannon, thank you for coming out on a Saturday morning in District 8. Um, and, uh, you know, I heard, I heard a couple themes. And I'll put them in, in buckets. And, uh, you know, to nobody's surprise, they are directly related to the themes um, that, you know, appeared. The first is issues around community safety. Um, and I heard uh, from residents loud and clear that, you know, they want to feel safer. Um, so as I see the... the uh, the, the pyramid or the, the worksheet, it's uh, our CSA we're, we're correlating to SJPD recruitment and our 911 call modernization uh, gives me some optimism as, as we, hopefully we lean, lean in on that and, and see some improvements with how we are not just able to um, attract but retain officers and um, making sure that the right calls are routed to the right people and we don't have to send somebody with uh, a gun to respond to, to certain calls, and that's where I, I know Councilmember Ortiz mentioned the trust program and how can we leverage partnerships with the county and the, the, the folks who are able to provide those services. Um, I know I know it's uh, and also an important theme ar around community safety is um, you know leaning in on the Children and Youth Services Master Plan and the investments that correlate there because those investments um, we will do, we will have an opportunity to see the fruits of that not one year, two years, but th that's where we'll see in three, four years uh, with uh, you know, our, our vulnerable kids from East San Jose not becoming statistics. And so I hope we are able to lean in on that just as much as we're leading in on automated speed enforcement and other mechanisms. Um, uh, another area within the public safety theme uh, that I'm optimistic about is, is related to our emergency medical services, uh, our emergency medical, medical services management coordination, um, especially with, with Med30, and you know the opportunity to be able to get some, um, some financial benefit if we're able to do that correctly, uh, given that we, our actions earlier today funded that position until June 30th. Um, but I, I, I see an opportunity there. And uh, the second theme uh, is cleaner streets and parks, uh, to no one's surprise, and beautifying uh, San Jose and beautifying the city was important for the residents uh, that, that came to our meeting, and um, not just as it pertains to illegal dumping, but the, the maintenance of our parks in our district. Um, and I think there's a key disparity, which we've, we talked extensively in NSC about, with what our residents expect uh, and the, the, the service that we're providing as, as, as a department or as a city administration. And so I think there's an opportunity to, to leverage volunteerism um, and uh, in addition to the, the Beautify SJ funding that we have currently for serv several pilot programs, but, but that is definitely a theme that, that my residents would like to see uh, the city make tangible improvements in. Um, the next is uh, tackling issues around homelessness and housing. I'll bump it in, I'll clump them together, although it's, we can chunk them out extensively and break them down deeply, but um, folks not just, you know, think it is important to having critical encampment management strategies, but also prevention strategies as well. So if we're not improving that ratio for which folks are becoming unhoused, we're never gonna build our way out of this problem. And folks recognize that. So that one to seven to one person housed, if we're not um, uh, making sure that those folks who are on the verge of becoming homeless uh, and we keep them housed, we're, we're, we're just gonna be turning our wheels. So that's, that was an, an important thing that, that residents uh, we're cognizant of in addition to 
um, you know, I'm optimistic of seeing that the ho affordable housing NOFA is under the Economic Development CSA because uh, folks also recognize the, the need for more housing for not just uh, folks who are unhoused, but for teachers, police officers, firefighters, uh, members of our community uh, because of the rising cost of housing. Um, and uh, another uh, lively group that we heard from during my uh, budget town hall was on uh, the animal rights activists, the folks who want to see us lean in on bringing back TNR. Um, and uh, making sure that we are uh, providing, uh, like Councilmember Torres likes to say, our furry friends um, some, some uh, uh, attention and, and making sure that we're, we're uh, leaning in on that. So the re-engineering in, in, in that neighborhood services CSA is, is, is uplifting. And you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to have this, this conversation, this dialogue. Um, this afternoon. I know there's a lot of work and this is just the beginning of a whole host of meetings, but those are just a few of the things that I heard from, from my residents that resonate with, with a few of the things that were touched on today. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Council Member. Appreciate that list and update from your district budget meeting. That's great. Uh, Councilor Torres. Good evening. Uh, thank you so much for that presentation and uh, I'm definitely going to echo what a lot of folks have already said. I know a lot of, there's a lot of us who are quicker on this, you know, request than some, some others. So um, here I am, last and, second to last, I think. Good job, Ben, for, 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 for being last. Uh, but anyways, uh, so for me, uh, open spaces is, is, is incredibly important, right? Not only for our neighborhoods, but for downtown. So... <clears throat> I know that we 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 have a we have a system and a plan to to help build parks, not necessarily maintain them, and that's why we are in this hole that we are in. And so I think for me, uh, investing in in St. James and Plaza de Cesar Chavez, right? Those are two two beautiful downtown parks that are underutilized, under underinvested, as well as as neighborhood parks like Bequesto and Watson Park. Uh, they, you know, they they need a little bit more love than than other parks uh, in my district, and so open spaces is 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 important for me. Uh, so that's one. The other one is, of course, uh, supporting uh, Vision Zero. I was last week. I was at a at a uh, Rotary Club downtown Rotary Club meeting where where a person actually said that we need to <laughs> not invest anymore in Vision Zero. We are if we truly want to be a remarkable downtown. We need to have a we need to have a walkable downtown, a a, a bikeable downtown as well. Uh, but also because we see we're seeing San Jose State expand its its footprint. I think we need to start in, uh, including uh, 10th Street and 11th Street uh, to 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 the list. I know it's not it's 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 those are streets that are not necessarily on the list for Vision Zero, but 10th Street and 11th Street, and even Almaden and Vine are speed traps in, in, in my neighborhoods. Uh, and so for me, it's, it's really important to make sure that the kids and the youth and the families living on those streets feel safely uh, going to and from school or work or whatever it may be. Uh, so, and I think we need to really make sure that we continue to invest in prevention programming. Uh, we, as you could, as you saw in some of the surveys, our, uh, our residents are concerned about the increase of, of, of gang involvement and gang violence uh, in our neighborhoods, and it is happening. 
um, because I unfortunately see it every single day at Pequesto Park or the, the neighborhood that I grew up in, in the Washington neighborhood, where you're seeing, you're seeing uh, youth become gang, gang impacted yet again. Uh, and so I definitely don't want to go back to, to, to that era where, 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 where our children are, are dying out in the, in the streets or, being, or having no prevention programming to prevent them from joining the gang. Uh, so obviously the, youth, the children's youth and master plan is, 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 is important, right? But, but I think we need, to, we need to go a little bit further than that. I think we need to, we need to you know, I know that we have, we have youth centers that are, that, are, that are being contracted out to incredible and amazing nonprofits. I think in, in areas that I know that, are, that we're experiencing a spike in, 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 in gang violence, uh, we need to go in there and make sure that our youth have the resources they need to not join the gang, right? And this, and this includes a lot of other things. I think we need to, to create a prevention programming for folks who are tagging on public and private property. Uh, because as you, you saw on the survey, uh, blight is, uh, is, is, a, is a major concern and, and graffiti and tagging is, is, is a concern in our city. Uh, and so that's, that's important to me, prevention programming. Uh, the other one is, um, and I know I've had this uh, discussion with, with, with Jennifer on our one-on-ones or when I call her just to, you know, just because I'm bored and I have an idea, you know. <laughs> I think we're all guilty of that. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I, saw, I saw a displeasure from our, our, our residents uh, in various departments that I know are doing are doing the best that they can, they, they can. Uh, and that's, uh, that's obviously PVCE, right? That's PRNS, specifically our, our maintenance program, right? PRNS, I don't like how PRNS is our most unpopular department in the last survey, uh, especially since I started in PRNS. So, you know, it hurt me right in the heart when I saw <laughs> that PRNS is unpopular. But I, we all know that it's, it, it's it ties into to the quality of, of our of our parks and so uh, and and then obviously fire and then SJPD so so uh, I know that uh, in my conversations with Jennifer I, I really want to make sure that we have a work plan or a plan to to lower the vacancies in these three three most critical departments right uh, so that's extremely important and without breaking any <laughs> without breaking a, a, our Brown Act here uh, I have been, I, I'm in a Brown Act with Councilmember. Uh, Foley and we are having discussions about blighted properties because th that is a major concern. Uh, we we can't allow blighted properties, whether you you could afford it or not, uh, for for them to continue to to be an eyesore in our neighborhoods and our downtown, especially in our downtown. Uh, so um, yeah, uh, with that, uh, uh, Jennifer, I don't know if you if you want to talk about. I know that I've I've asked for a potential MBA on on lowering our vacancy rate in in some of these most critical departments. I don't know if we need to do that or yeah. I think it'd be great, uh, Lee. Maybe you could go over very quickly what we're doing every Monday morning with Jennifer Shembury and some of our departments that have had had some challenges with filling positions and to give confidence that we're doing a lot. Sure. So we we definitely have a plan um, citywide and then by department by department. So as Jennifer Shembury mentioned the last time uh, we were at PISFIS, and I believe we're doing another report 
in the coming months to PISFIS before the budget process, so you'll get more information. Um, the transition to NeoGov has, I, I would say, has been a bit of a game changer for us. Applications across all classifications as we go out, um, we're seeing great results. So that was a big part of um, what we were looking at, as well as just the pilot program around uh, hiring and centralizing a lot of that within the Human Resources Department under Jennifer Shembury's leadership. We've seen great results where we have made those centralization plans. And then the, the departments, the larger departments such as PRNS, PBCE, uh, housing that have a number of vacancies, they meet on a regular basis. We do a Monday stand-up meeting with Jennifer Shembury and I where we go over each vacancy um, and where is that in process, where is that posted, um, and as you have heard in PBCE, possibly holding back on some of those positions. So a lot of those vacancy rates have improved quite drastically over the last few months, and we will continue to do that, um, and we can report out in greater detail at PISFIS in the future if you'd like. Okay, great. No, thank you. Um, Thank you for that for that information. And, and I know you know I know we do have a, a plan because we we hear it at our various committees and we hear it here. But um, but you know I, I know that that's that's one th constituent concern that I always get is is that our PBCE, our PRNS, and our fire and SJPD are the most understaffed. But those are the where our most critical concerns in our city, you know, lay. So it's, it's that's why I that's why I've asked. Um, the other one is I know that. Uh, I brought it up on at NSC, and uh, again, uh, I know that um, you know if if we need to. Um, I think I think we really need to um, we really need to make sure that we are funding or have yearly funding for youth and 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 children's services here in the city of San Jose. Uh, Either, whether it's 1%, whether it's 2%, whether it's 3%, right? I know that I've asked this question repeatedly at either NSC or city council, like how, how much do we really, how much money do we really invest in our youth and families? And, and you know, I know that you're all doing a great job, but we, we can never get a, a, full, uh, a full answer or a, a, a complete or accurate answer because it's in various, just like when we're dealing with homelessness, it's in, var in various departments, uh, right? And so, you know, I, I think if our city is going to be successful, we really need to make sure that we are we are funding youth and families uh, every year at I don't know one percent, two percent. That's you know my my two cents, but um, but yeah, and, and it says there that I'm out of time, so. Um, we could always talk offline about this. So, thank you. Okay, thank you, Council Member. Council Member Duan. Thank you, Mayor. <clears throat> I just want to say thank you, staff. It's, it's, it's a ton of work. It's, it's amazing how you put this whole report together. And, and Jim, I, I definitely, you know, will never complain that uh, my, my job is tough. I think yours crunching those beautiful numbers and, and make sense of everything. <clears throat> I echo everything pretty much all my colleagues have addressed, right? From homelessness to, to public safety to housing and, and all the beautify our, our city uh, and, and keep it clean. And obviously, I, I think the, the, the key to the whole thing is happening right now is everyone throughout the city and, and, and county and state is, 
Number one, prioritization is our unhoused residents. And we spent enormous amount of time and resource. And, and we have declared it's an emergency or crisis. We, we need to get these unhoused residents um, you know, off their feet into some type of quick emergency shelter so that way we can apply the laws that we, we have. And in the meantime, we need to recoup the money from the county that we, you know, all the EIH site that, that we provide all the services. Now, 11,000 calls just from the fire department, 18,000 calls, 19,000 calls from police department. That's not including Beautify San Jose, um, the, our uh, nonprofit organization, and many orga organizations. We spent enormous amount of time, money, and resource in order to, to make sure our unhoused residents are off the street, but yet we're, we're at a snail pace. We're talking about permanent housing at 1.2 to 1.4 million dollars. That take five years from now to even accomplish. And then five years from there you will build more. And then I remember very briefly we, we saved 1.77 so I rounded off to two people. Uh, two unhoused residents um, will, will replace the one that we, we, we house. So I feel that if we get our unhoused resident in the emergency shelter quickly and efficiently and work with our county and the state and get them the services that they need, then we can have funding to support our police and our fire department to their staffing. Not only that, I want to make sure that we have a, a true representation and not only the women in the police and fire service, but also the ethnicity. Somehow we, we, we lack of that rec recruitment, we, we lack of the fact that we went out there and, and missed the mark. There, there's, uh, again, there, there's, in this city, the, the number is, is 40%, you know, Asian American. But yet none of the department and the city as a whole has not done a good job of recruiting um, in, in that area. But I'll tell you this, if we want to support our public safety, we want to support our, our youth, we want to support our library, beautify our city, and, and take care of our park, well, if we don't solve the unhoused resident situation, then we'll never have enough funding to support these programs. And I, you know, I, I would ask that our IGR team or our city team to work with, with our county and other cities to resolve the problem of unhoused residents because it seemed like San Jose is, is carrying this big burden and we continue to get unhoused residents from all the city around us and other county, but yet we don't have enough funding for it. We have to work with other cities so they can build interim housing, emergency shelter to help us, to help the whole county for that matter. Um, I, I believe that we can resolve a lot of our issues by dealing with our unhoused residents immediately.
but we can't do it with the 1.2 to 1.4 million dollar permanent housing. We do it efficiently and effectively, just like the military when to deploy, just like our men and women when in COVID, we, sh we, we put up shelter. We can't wait five or 10 years. But all said and done, I, I truly appreciate all the hard work. I know we are un understaffed. I know that we're, we're lack of funding, under-resourced, but I just want to say thank you for doing the best that you can. And I say this, failure is not an option in this scenario. Every one of us needs to be inspired and empowered to do the best that we can and we have to think out of the box. Because sometimes we keep doing the exact same thing and expecting different result. That, that just, you know, the old saying is insanity. and We cannot continue that. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox for tonight. Um, again, I just want to say thank you again for all your hard work and, and continue to look out, go out of the box and, and be creative and not worry about, oh my God, we're gonna, the, the citizen's gonna say this or, or we're gonna get sued. We gotta take some type of action. If we don't, we continue to have the city the way it is. And I don't want us to become San Francisco in the Tenderloin or Oakland for that matter. I want to keep our city and continue to make it better, cleaner, and safer for everyone. Thank you. Great, thank you, Council Member. Councilor Jimenez? I see everybody's faces. I'm gonna be really quick. <laughs> I guess I wanna go home too. But let me, let me just thank you for the 11th time. No, no, but sincerely, thank you for all the work. I, I appreciate it. Uh, I often don't say a whole lot because everyone chimes in and says a lot, of the, you know, a lot of the crucial things, a lot of important things, so I appreciate all the comments that were lifted up. Um, you know, I was just, so before I get to maybe a statement and a question, uh, I appreciate all the priorities. The, as Pam and I were, were sitting, Councilmember Foley and I were sitting here sort of uh, nodding our heads as we were, you were going through this, you know, as an example on I think slide 14, you see from two, 2021 to 2023, some of the things just move a little bit, but it's mostly the same thing. And as I expressed to her and she agreed is that I don't need stats or run surveys to hear, to, to know that this, these are the top things that we hear about daily. And, and so for us, I think it's very clear as to the concerns for the residents. So to me, what you presented matches up pretty clearly and pretty accurately to what I hear on a daily basis from the residents, and I suspect my colleagues feel similarly. Um, and so I appreciate that. Uh, what I wanted to ask about was related to the, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's best sort of plays out, at least relates to what I'm talking about on slide 30, uh, where you go through some of the administration perspectives and priorities. Just to point out a few things and then to, to highlight my point, if you look at the neighborhood services uh, column, if you will, in the blue section, one of them, for example, one of the priorities is bio-waste. Obviously, that plays into stormwater permit and some of the stuff related to that. Similarly, you look into transportation, oversized vehicle concerns, school setbacks, that plays into uh, you know, encampment management, and you know, similar type of scenarios that play out. And so my question is this, is that I found over the last seven years that I've been on council is that what, what the way we are successful as a city, in my mind, is if, if we have all this disparate, different departments doing their own thing, working in silos, 
And by the way, I'll premise this by, by just saying that I'd like to think things have changed. <laughs> but these are a lot of different things that we're going to be doing, a lot of different priorities. Some bleed over into other categories, other boxes. And, and maybe this question for anyone that want to answer, but city manager, if you want to answer, uh, is how do we make certain w that all the respective departments are working cohesively in a very systematic way to make sure that these things happen, right? Um, and I'm curious to know if, if, like, what systems are in place to make sure that we uh, set ourselves up for success and make sure that uh, we're all sort of rowing in the same direction. And we're not, and we're not saying something along the lines of this. Well, that's not, that's, uh, it's not my job, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and instead, say, you know what? That falls mainly in your department, but we're going to help you with that because we understand how to deal with that. And if someone calls, calls our department to deal with this issue, I'm not just going to give them a phone number and refer them off. Like almost implementing this no wrong door policy to any of these issues. And I'm curious how we see ourselves sort of addressing this because we can identify these, but if we're not working well cohesively, then none of it's going to get done. So. Yeah. Thank you very much for the question. I couldn't agree with you more. So, you know, we do have our city service area structure where the, 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 the departments that are involved in the core services, it's not necessarily a one-on-one -on -one relationship between a, comp a department uh, to a city service area. For example, fire is split between public safety and community and economic development since they have a role in, fire in the development review process and they also have a role in public safety. So we align our core services to the city service areas and then there's regular meetings on that. We also, um, have I've assigned all of the deputy city managers is to be um, another arm for me since I can't be with all of them all the time to be in charge of these city service areas to help me uh, help them facilitate issues and, and service delivery gaps that we might have and to recognize where we might need to bring in more departments or more areas of the city to address a, a wicked complex problem. For example, Omar has uh, really seen the broader need for us to get more of the departments together uh, that may not be the normal usual suspects in dealing with the homelessness issue and has really broadened up the engagement of the departments. I also have you know, our, my one team leadership uh, uh, values and expectations that all of the, our department heads are signed on to help develop and so I know they buy into it and we also evaluate them on those those expectations which is it's not a deflection it's to figure out how do we solve these problems together and you don't just deflect it to another department it's also integrates into the customer service initiative that we're doing as well because customer service ultimately is to the community but it's department to department so we can get things done in, in spirit of our community so there's a few things to give you examples. Okay, and if you don't mind, Jennifer, I'm going to ask some of the department's head, heads that are here because all that's wonderful and I appreciate that and makes sense to me and I've seen some of what you're describing. But I'd be curious if any department had anyone can sort of chime in on how do you make certain that that flows down to the sort of staff level on the ground doing the work? Who wants to volunteer? <laughs> Angel, it looks like you want to do it. Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, you know, you know the, uh, as Jennifer mentioned, uh, I'll, I'll give you the neighborhood services CSA as an example, right? So we have a regular meeting, uh, standing meeting. It, it's, a, it's a monthly meeting with a preset agenda uh, that has everything as basic as kind of prep for the upcoming NSC meeting. Uh, as well as follow up and debrief on the last NC meeting, but more importantly, looking out on the horizon in terms of any issues that are stuck in doing the work as we're performing this work. 
Um, and so that, that, in that, and at that meeting there, you have, for example, in Neighborhood Services CSA, you have uh, PRNS, you have the library, you have code enforcement, you, you have public works. Um, and, and oftentimes we have to invite in San Jose PD or invite in housing or, or other departments based on the subject. In that same cadence and in that same structure, we also have a call out that says, if you're working on something that is inner, that has an inner department um, kind of focus, and either you need to coordinate or troubleshoot because something is stuck, or if you need to really explore uh, maybe revising a current policy or developing a new one, uh, then we could call, and anybody on that team can, can trigger that and call that meeting uh, where we'll schedule a meeting and bring in all the respective departments to actually do that work. And, and so that's the, that's the kind of the management structure of it. When, when you ask yourself, okay, well, in this case, I ask myself, okay, how can I tell if it's working? And I think w one, of the, one of the indicators that it's working is if, if for example, you, you, you saw some of the uh, statistics earlier in terms of the clean neighborhoods where you see us moving the perception needle around community, which as we all know, it's hard to move perception, uh, uh, you know, numbers, you know, statistically. 4%, 5% may seem, you know, nominal, but it's significant in kind of the big picture. And so that, that's one example of how this works in, in kind of real life day to day uh, within the, the city manager's office in coordination with departments. Yeah, if I could just jump into, I think we've had the CSA structure for a while and um, all of us in the box facilitate our CSAs very similarly and different because they're different issues, different directors. I think the real change in the past year, especially around the focus area, is the execution teams in the cabinets. So just as an example, you know, the, the public safety CSA, we've spent a lot of time as a CSA on the CSA modernization, what you're gonna see in the budget um, process as a way of prioritizing our proposals, looking at those desired outcomes. But then the execution team for increasing community safety is quite different. Actually, we bring in DOT and, and Rob participates since he helps with DOT and we can be much more focused around some of those objectives um, and some of those issues that, you know, like we talked about and Councilmember Dewan just talked about, they reach out from outside the city. So that's allowed us as a team with the directors to be much more focused around some of those larger challenges outside of a CSA structure as well. Okay, all right, that all, that all makes sense. To me. And I'll, I'm I just gonna, it. I'll round it out just, um, and you know, for what comes from this work when we have these, the, our, I was, thank you for uh, saying that Lee too. I was gonna come back and round out to that. But when we have the CSA or meetings or execution team meetings or whatever meetings, we also have agenda review every single week where our departments uh, uh, talk about issues as we're reviewing agendas because we get together quite often. I know our department heads reach out to their, the appropriate staff that are the experts in this area and then they're, they're, they're accountable to those directors who always bring the information back and they're very responsive in that. So I have high confidence in our departments in doing that. All right, well thank you, appreciate it. and, and uh and we'll go marching forward in the budget season and figure out how this sort of takes shape uh, in dollars and cents, if you will. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Councilmember Jimenez. Appreciate that. Well, I appreciate all the very thoughtful feedback from council members. I've got a few pages of notes here, and I imagine my staff has even more. But uh, really useful input. Again, thank you, staff, for the very comprehensive update. Useful to get that holistic picture. And... Uh, be reminded of what our community cares about, though, as Councilor Jimenez said, it's uh, quite consistent and quite uh, clear, I think, to uh, most, if not all of us. Um, so with that, we're gonna move to the final step of the meeting, which is public comment.
And it is, it is not open forum, it's public comment Correct. on the items that were covered as part of the study session. So essentially budget priorities for the coming year. Tony, why don't you go ahead? Okay, I have, I have more cards than people in the council chambers. So I'm gonna just read them all and come down and, and first person on the microphone gets to speak. I have Catherine Hedges, Deb St. Julian, Lonnie Ballard, Michaela Swift, Debbie Owl, Jennifer Meyer, Clarice Wynn, Mary, Derek, Kim Guptill, and Sandra Asher. All of you come on down. Good evening. Um, roses are red, violets are blue. We believe that San Jose needs another field trust team. How about you? I'm Catherine Hedges, and I'm here today on behalf of all the members of Rex and Surge who couldn't make it today um, during person, during workday, to make public comment. This Valentine's Day, show some love to your constituents by making the choice to, by making the choice to save lives. The Mercury News, in a study of police records between 2014 and 2021, documented that over 70% of those seriously injured and killed by SJPD were impaired by either substance abuse or mental illness at the time. The trust program offers a safe path to help for all of us, but especially for those who traditionally have been the most harmed by defaulting to police response for every situation and social pro problem. Budgets reflect values. We are asking your budget to reflect care and prevention, and I, we highly appreciate all the comments we've heard about trust so far this evening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Jen Meyer. I live and work in downtown. I'm a member of showing up for racial justice with uh, Sacred Heart, and in the honor of tomorrow, I'd like to wish you a happy Valentine's Day. I'd like to say that my love for you did waver when public comment didn't get to happen before your discussion. We can watch your discussion online, but we have to be here in person to comment. However, my love for our neighbors and for you is even bigger, and I'm still here to say that uh, love for us means funding an additional trust field team uh, for San Jose in the 2024 and 2025 budget. If the right responder had been available on February 11th, 2015, nine years ago, just nine years and two days ago, maybe Philip Watkins would still be alive today. If we had robust non-police crisis response for mental health and substance use then, maybe Sharon Watkins would not have lost her son to police violence. We do have the right responders now. The only problem is that we only have one field team for the entire city of San Jose. If you believe in love and care, Make a choice to save lives, include funding for trust. We're asking your budget to reflect care and prevention. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Happy pre-Valentine's Day. <laughs> it's coming. And it's also Ash Wednesday at the same time. That's kind of like a conundrum, right? Okay. My name is Deb St. Julian. This is so loud. I'm a voter and a homeowner in District 2. 
and I'm a member of Urban Sanctuary. If you go downstairs and go to the bathroom, you can see my church right there and through the window, and I'm a member of Surge. My faith is the foundation of my life, and my spiritual teachers teach that love is in action. On this Valentine's Day evening, I urge you to prioritize funding for an additional trust field team in San Jose. We already have a pilot, wow, and it's shown that it works. It saves lives, it prioritizes care, it follows best practices for mental health and substance issue interventions, and on top of that, like, it saves money and it reduces police response times because, like one of you said, the right call gets the right response. So we don't divert police to things that other trained professionals would be better to go handle. So trust, Valentine's Day theme, trust is love in action in our neighborhoods, in my neighborhood, in your neighborhood. So you can make my Valentine's Day by prioritizing funding an additional life-saving, proven, successful trust field team in next year's budget for San Jose. So happy Love in Action Day. Thank you, next speaker. Hey y'all, uh, my name is Derek Sanderlin. Uh, pronouns are he, they. I'm a staff organizer for Sacred Heart and uh, the union's chapter president for Sacred Heart, um, SEIU 521. I am here today to deliver a verbal comment on behalf of all of the working people who can't make it here in person during a workday, uh, but maybe could have stepped away to call in to make a virtual comment. Uh, I'm here to wish you a happy Valentine's Day and to say that you can be my Valentine by ensuring that funding for trust is included in the 2024-2025 budget. Trust is the county's non-police crisis, non-police crisis response program for mental health and substance use. The trust team uh, are trained to respond to mental health crises, give trauma-informed care and focus on prevention, and center the client and their loved ones to resolve the crisis. What better day than the, uh, than the eve of Valentine's to decide to prioritize care and prioritize funding for trust? Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Roses are red, violets are blue. Fund the trust team, it's the right thing to do. Hi, I'm Clarice Nguyen. I am a student at De Anza College, and on this Valentine's Day Eve, I'm here to remind you of your responsibility to care for and protect the residents of your city. One way to show care is through accountability. The city funded a community-based process to reimagine public safety, a process that consisted of public learning sessions featuring the lived experiences of some of our most vulnerable neighbors, Black, Latinx, Asian, Pacific Islanders, LGBTQ+, youth, individuals with disabilities, 
the unhoused, mental health consumers, and survivors of gender-based violence. And then you acted on almost none of their recommendations. We are asking you to act now on one of these recommendations, city investment into an additional trust field for our San Jose. Love and care means listening and accountability. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Good evening, my name is Kim Guptill and I'm a member of Showing Up for Racial Justice. I'm a D6 voter and I wanna wish a happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Um, and I wanted to tell you that one of my other Valentines, my darling nephew, has mental health issues. And in fact, right now we are worried that he is on the verge of a psychotic break. And we are hoping that if need be, uh, the right responder will show up for him if he happens to be in a situation where it's called for. The trust program has the right responders, but we need more. It's pretty simple. So we ask that you please, please prioritize saving lives, that you prioritize funding for an additional trust field team for San Jose, that you have a wonderful, happy Valentine's Day, and that you um, recognize that this is something good, white people are good for, is to be able to stand up and advocate. And we all know that when the cops show up in these things, the people that die are the people of color. Thank you. Thank you, next speaker. Okay, I saw her stand up, so I thought maybe she was coming forward. Um, back to council. Great, thank you, Tony. Thanks for everybody who offered public comment. Thank you all for an informative study session. We're adjourned. <laughs>